Hi, and welcome to Drinking With Creatives, because drinking by myself isn't a podcast you want to listen to. My name is Jeremy Berger, a documentary filmmaker and senior editor, and each week I sit down with a fellow creative, talk shop, talk life, and have a drink. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to talk about Zack Snyder. As you may know, the Snyder Cut of the Justice League drops tomorrow, a film that was critically trashed when creative direction was changed at the studio's behest amidst a horrible tragedy for Zack Snyder and his family. It was revived, however, by the onslaught of online petitions and fan support, delivering a film that no one thought would ever be seen. So I've invited Hamilton Tamayo back to discuss, have a drink, and engage in our second careers as film critics. Here we go. Let's yeah, let's dive in because we didn't actually do too much prep for this. So I don't know what your take on Zack Snyder is. Oh, man, it's so hard. So like like leading up to this, I, I basically sat down and I started watching all the movies again. And obviously I read the Vanity Fair, you know, article that came out that was talking about the new Justice League, you know, Zack Snyder cut that came out. And it's it's funny because like I'm of two minds when it comes to Zack Snyder, right? The the, the inner nerd in me loves his movies. Mm-hmm. And then the the film snob part of me just loathes some of his movies, not all of them, some of them. Uh, and, and I loathe them only because like, and also maybe a little bit of the comic book nerd in me hates, hates it a little bit, you know? Um, but again, like the guy's had an incredible career. Like when you look at his career, it's like, holy shit. Like this guy has had, he's gotten to touch some of the biggest franchises. Absolutely. He's had some massive fucking hits. Like, I mean, like when you think about 300, which is kind of like, uh, I don't wait, which came first? Was it Dawn of the Dead or 300? Dawn of the Dead was his first feature film. Right. Before was, that, he was doing like commercials and music videos. Right. And so the funny thing is, so like, I love Dawn of the Dead, the original, the actual movie. Like, I love Romero. I love zombie movies. And so yeah. when I heard that there was going to be a reboot of Dawn of the Dead, I remember just like literally turning to my brother and thinking, oh my God, this guy's going to fuck it up. Not, like, not even just him, any director. Like, yeah. Go and touch that. It's holy ground. You can't, you can't get in on that. Right, exactly. And so then when you see it, it's one of those rare movies, in my opinion, that actually does a really good job of making it, I wouldn't say better, because it's definitely not better, but mm-hmm. making it different enough that you can go, they both stand, you know, they're, they're both very good movies, but they're good for different reasons, right? Where you look at Romero's movie and you're like, wow, he's basically saying something about you know, capitalism and consumerism mm-hmm. and human nature, and there's some deep topics, heavy topics. And Zack Snyder basically took it and was like, you know what? There's just a really cool action horror movie in this shit. And I'm going to turn it up to 11. And that's what it is. Yeah. And it's funny. I feel like his version actually had this, and not necessarily weird aspect, but it's just a bit of a weird aspect considering some of his other films uh, where there was this strange, almost humanistic aspect for it. Because I, before I even knew who this guy was, I sat down and I watched that movie and the one of the scenes I walk with to this day, I think about that movie and I think about uh, everybody sitting around the campfire inside the mall and uh, the male supporting character, I can't remember his name, delivers this great line, this, 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 this wonderful line. He said, uh, he's like, no, no, I was, I was a terrible husband, but I was a great father. And it, was, it just hit you in the chest. And I was like, oh, like I, I forgave a lot of my otherwise misgivings. I was like, okay, no, that's a solid emotional moment that I'm pretty, that I know. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, and like it was just working great with the director, with 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 the material and with the actors. And I and 
you know, I, I, I had a fun time during that film. And also Sarah Polly is just fantastic. Oh my God. She's so good. It's funny. Like I was just going to say that if I had been drinking a little more and you would have dropped that line on me, I would have started crying right now. <laughs> it would have been like literally tears. Like, oh my God. Oh, I God. Can't really, oh. oh God. Oh God. His, his kid's dead. Yeah. But, but I'm, here's... Only, I'm only one drink in, so it's not, not enough. Powerful, okay. but not enough. Oh, oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Don't you worry. Um, so here's what I'd like to do. Uh, I want to kind of guide this conversation, this talk about Zack Snyder, away from him as a director and even away from him to a certain degree as a filmmaker. I want to talk about story, uh, story and reception, because he puts himself into the writer's room a lot. Uh, and a lot of times with material if not most of the time, a lot of times, most of the time with material that he did not necessarily originate. Let's talk about that. Where, where do you think we should begin? Uh, I mean, I think this is a great way of looking at his, like just a looking at work, but also like his work as a director, mm -hmm. but more mm -hmm. importantly, looking at fandom, right? Cause there's a lot mm -hmm. of this the fandom kind of plays into some of this, right? Because again, he's an, an auteur, right? But he's injecting himself by taking a lot of elements from other like great ones, right? So again, like the example we were just talking about earlier, which is, you know, uh, Dawn of the Dead, it's a Romero piece, yep. right? And then you look at all the Justice League movies, the Superman movie, and that's not his work, right? And then you mm -hmm. even look at Watchmen, right? Watchmen is what Alan Moore? Yes. Right? And so again, very beloved, mm. hugely important. And I actually think in that movie, he does a pretty good job. Like that's the one where I think most people, it's a polarizing movie, but like, mm -hmm. again, he injects himself. He has very strong opinions. He's a very visual guy. Mm. Um, and so he tries to be as honest to the piece as possible when I think it suits him. And then as any author would do, as any director has done, they use the pieces they like and the other stuff they kind of throw away or they, they change to fit their, their, their kind of work. But he's kind of notorious, you know, because again, like we're not gonna start at the beginning of all his movies and stuff. I mean, if we do, that's fine. But like Justice League is a, is a, is a pretty, oh no, sorry. Superman versus Batman is a pretty good one, right? Mm. Superman versus Batman is obviously his love of obviously that story arc. Right, and there's yes. like I think there's a couple there's a couple story arcs in there that he kind of smashes together mm -hmm. like a collider in a blender, and they don't work for me at least. They don't work. It's 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 a messy movie. It doesn't really land a lot of things. It's cool visually. Uh, it has moments, but it also has laughable moments, right? And so yeah, it's a very very like, it's hard, right? When you think about him and his work, you know. Well, can we back that up just like, because I, I do want to dive a little bit into Batman versus Superman, but I also kind of <laughs> want to talk about, because of course the, the, the through line I find in that is like, well, the guy and credit to his credit, like uh, 300 was released in 2006 and that was two years before Iron Man. So the guy didn't invent comic book movie genre, but man, was he an early adopter. Um, so in a weird way, if we track, you know, his kind of, you know, uh, ahead of the curve uh, tendency. Maybe we kind of see where this whole mess is going and we're forewarned a little bit because let's talk for a second about Man of Steel. Have you watched Man of Steel recently? I rewatched that in Batman v Superman recently. Man, I have so many feelings about Man of Steel, man. Hit me, hit me. So here's the thing. I like the first hour of Man of Steel. I love it. I mean, I think 
the, the, the casting that he does, the visuals that he has, they work for me. Like when I'm watching that movie, I was like so pumped because I was like, holy shit, like this is going to be really, really good, right? He's got like Kevin Costner's The Dad, which I think is like awesome casting. Absolutely. He's got Diane Lane, who for me is always going to be like Cherry Valance from Outsiders, you know? Oh, <laughs> stop it. But no, but continue at the same time. <laughs> Right. So I always have a love for her. And, you know, it's kind of nerdy to say it, but like all her movies, I just kind of love. I love her. In it. And then he, his, his casting for Superman is amazing. Right. Uh, Henry Cavill. Right. Good looking guy. Looks like he's Superman. He's got those vibes. Mm-hmm. And so that first hour of that movie, it's just like, oh, my God, like this is really this is amazing. Right. You're taking yep. the actual source material and you're, you're doing it right. You really, and you're bringing something new to it, right? Those questions of like, what would happen if an alien came to this planet and would he want to protect it? The onus of his identity, all those things that you would think about are fleshed out very, very nicely. Second half, that fucking just, I cannot stand because it's such a departure from the actual comic books. I mean, like everyone that's seen it, it's like, I'm just going to tear through this city, not caring about human beings. Right. And then the argument that people will have is that it's not that he didn't care. It's just that the, the battle was just so incredible. It was so, you know, horrible that he didn't have time to think about it. Right. And not to mention the ending where he actually kills Zod. You're like, what the fuck did you just do to my, my youth? You know, and again, that's, that's me being toxic also, right? Because again, it's not my character. It's not my my hero. I, I love the character, but I didn't write it. So but I love your he. work. I love your work, Jerry Siegel. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. The there, There's this overarching thing about his entire approach to Superman is something I want to dive into after we talk about Batman versus Superman. But there was definitely, I feel, a point in there where while he was questioning his actual uh, ability to belong on planet earth, we kind of lost sight of the overarching thing about a core of why people love Superman to begin with, which is he does care. He absolutely cares. He knows that he is not amongst us and that we we would absolutely shun him. And he loves us anyway. Now, is there a Jesus metaphor in there? So, you know, guy sending his son to (laughs) earth with powers beyond mortal Ken to save us all from, you know, our, 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 our baser impulses. Eh, maybe, but we'll cover that in a different episode. Um, <laughs> right, that goes back to like the, the teaching teaching uh, comic books in college, right? Like there's a class, I forgot what school that started teaching it because it obviously goes back. These are story arcs that we've seen through time over and over, right? And so it's so important, but most people are dismissive of it. And so like, there are probably, I'm sure people that will listen to this podcast and go, I can't believe they're talking about, you know, Zack Snyder and comic book movies with such such uh, fervor. And it's like, no, if you understand comic books and, and understand like what's happening, there's a lot of deep material there, right? It's a father-son mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. It's obviously a, a, a question of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Jesus Christ figure. There's so much. So I'm Pack. yeah yeah and it's also i mean look look it's it's a story that's been built on for where are we at 60 years now i mean how much story can you create one week at a time over the course of 60 years dealing with one character like you you, you could plop you, you could take a look at my apartment right now and i'm going to guess that you could not fit every single superman comic book in this room if you were just pile one of each of them on top of each other i, I wouldn't have any room to move Right. And then the thing is that like, obviously in, in all of those, they're not all like masterpieces, but in those, there are multiples, like just lots of incredible story arcs that explore human nature and explore lots of things. 
And again, you know, what he chose to concentrate on is always what gets me. Like, I'm like, wow, you had so much to pull from. And you pull the stuff that, that some of it is great and some of it is just like, like, it makes you question. You're like, are you as, an, as a director, and obviously all directors to a certain extent are a little bit selfish, like what you chose to concentrate on is obviously probably something you're, he was probably facing in his life or maybe something that he just thought about when his childhood was so important. But again, like it calls into question, like why did you pick these? Why did you go this direction? Why did you make these choices? Because you knew it was just going to like piss people off. Like in what world did he think, yeah, you know what? Him killing Zod, it's going to go over well. Yeah, yeah, this will be fine. The audience will be confronted with the idea that there was no other choice uh, except you have writers and writers make things up and you had lots of choices because you're dealing with aliens and something called the negative zone, which doesn't occupy any kind of space in our physical reality. But that's, that's actually a good point about story decisions that I want to talk about. Um, and that's the entire idea. And if anybody hasn't seen the movie, spoiler alert, um, that somehow contained, and, and this was a creative liberty he did take, contained with uh superman's uh baby pod from krypton his father decided to send along with him all the genetic information uh because apparently kryptonians haven't had natural babies in some time now i'm just gonna go ahead and throw this out there maybe if he had skipped that or found a way around that maybe put that in a separate spaceship um a whole lot of damage could have been avoided <laughs> right yeah you know uh that city metropolis yeah still be standing <laughs> yeah yeah it's um before uh what, what was that screen junkie said before uh dubstep killed it yeah it was uh <laughs> i'm just saying i kind of took a look at that and i was like that's an interesting choice that really doesn't aid our hero in any way outside of some kind of plot device but let's let's move right. on to Batman v Superman. Yeah, well, actually, before we go, it's yeah. funny. I'm no theologian, right? But right. it's so weird. It's almost like he just basically took two religious, you know, very Christian religious story arcs and slap, like smashed them together again, like trying to create like this this heavier story. When in reality, it's like, why did you overcomplicate it? Like he's a Christ-like figure. That's good enough. But you want to throw in like you know uh, what is it? Uh, the Ark. You want to throw the Ark in yeah. there too? Yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Right. Yeah, sorry, was Jesus not gritty enough for you? The guy got nailed to a wooden goddamn cross. Oh, right, but, but that's like, again, like an example of like, and I, I think as we go through the movies that we're going to be talking about, a lot of his movies, one of the, I think one of the criticisms is that they all feel like a bag of a lot of really great ideas and good intentions, mm -hmm. but they should have been edited, right? They should have been thought through and maybe removed some to try to kind of like distill it down a little bit better. And again, like I know we're Monday, Monday morning quarterbacking this shit, but there's a part of it, <laughs> right? But there's a part of it. And again, like just, just so there's a disclaimer that whoever's listening doesn't think I'm like a total asshole. Like, yes, he is a film director. He's made blockbusters. He knows about filmmaking. I don't, but I have an opinion. And the opinion being that and again, someone who works in advertising and who actually cuts, you know, commercials and, and thinks about story arcs and storylines, mm -hmm. you sometimes have to look at it and take the James Cameron approach where it's like, okay, I have my main plot line and I have my subplot line and I have to make it under a certain time. And I have to also question whether or not this subplot line is really adding any value. And if it isn't, I just get rid of it. And, you know, that's the James Cameron way. And again, I know some people will go, James Cameron's a terrible filmmaker and I would probably hate them forever because they're wrong, you know, but 
Again, I mean, who says that? Yeah, man. Who you know what? Says jump, that? On, jump on the internet, man. There's so much hate for him because of Avatar. Not to take this discussion, not to make it veer off. off the oh, rails, well, but... oh it's Avatar 2. We're having this episode again. Make no mistake. But... <laughs> yes, like, look, you, you can't tell me the guy who made uh, Terminator, Terminator 2, Aliens, and um, Titanic. You, you can't call him a bad filmmaker. Like, I hate agree. the guy for his treatment of people. I can get behind that. I hear he's sometimes a monster, uh, but you, you can't call the guy a terrible filmmaker. I'm sorry. hundred <laughs> percent agree. hundred percent agree. But again, like that, 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 that method of doing, of telling a story has served him well. Right. And yeah. like, again, if you watch a lot of like the director, like director's cut or, you know, the behind the scenes on all those DVDs, there's lots of story arcs that he has working in movies like aliens. Aliens is a great example, right? Mm. He has a story arc of newt. Right. Yes, and new yes. and all this extra stuff and footage. And he was like, I got to make this so that obviously we get people in the, in the seats and mm-hmm. we move the movie along. It's already like kind of getting up to that three hour mark. I'm just going to cut that subplot. Now, if you've seen the director's cut, that subplot is dope. It's great. It adds so much like like amazingness to that movie. Yes. But again, there's a balance. There's it's, it's a commercial art and you have to make that call. I must feel like Zack Snyder, you know, going back. I feel that a lot of times his films are just like, I've got a lot of really cool ideas and I'm just going to throw them all in. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe I should kind of dial it back a little bit because, you know, I'm adding too much and it's starting to like ruin the whole movie when it doesn't have to. Absolutely. And this, I mean, that's, I think a, a, an approach to any kind of creative endeavor, like my, my father's an engineer and I've always appreciated, I, I find engineers to be weird and wacky and wonderful because uh, inside each and every engineer is like somebody who really just wants to build the dopest treehouse uh, that mankind has ever seen. <laughs> but he, he, he always used to say, he's like, figure out how to do something with as few, like he said, my job is to figure out how to make something work with as few moving parts as possible. Because, you know, if you design with economy in mind, and this I feel is as true for story as anything else, then it's easier to digest. It doesn't break as easily. It's, you know, it's beauty is its simplicity. And yes, I do agree. Zack Snyder could probably take some notes from that. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, like, look at the Fortress of Solitude. It is simple. It is clean. It works. It's the ultimate treehouse. It's Superman's treehouse. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought of it that way, but yes, yes, it is Superman's treehouse. It's just, it's made of crystalline ice. Okay. Batman versus Superman. Okay. First of all... What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on this one? I want to hear it. Okay. I I, want to just make a couple of uh, quick notes about this. Uh, One, um, I I, I can't remember if um, one of the writing credits was given to Frank Miller or not, but it obviously should be because... You know, like yeah, there, there was there, yeah. there there was a there was a moment there. Jeremy Irons said, uh, "I I fear that the uh, I'm paraphrasing. Obviously, I fear that the future Wayne uh, wine cellar shall be bare for the next generation if there is next generation." And I remember going, mm-hmm. "Wait, that's directly from the comic book. You couldn't right? Dark Knight couldn't man. just like yeah, you couldn't yeah yeah dark yeah the uh, uh, the Dark Knight Returns, one of the most yeah infamous and and that along with the Killing Joke by Alan Moore, one of the um." like quintessential like hey everyone batman's serious now uh i think they both came out between like 84 and 86 uh but but that's that's what he does right he basically took the two the two like 
if you could if you could say like the two seminal pieces of Batman, you know, comic book, right? Yeah. Like those two mm-hmm. comic books are like the seminal ones. Like usually when you talk to any like super comic book fan, you literally will hear them say like, oh man, the thing that changed me would be like Watchmen changed me, The Dark Knight Returns and The Killing Joke. Like those yep. are usually in the in their list of like top tens, right? And if yep. they love Batman, then those are literally their number one and number twos because obviously they humanize him. They show a dar- darker, grittier, more human level of Batman mm-hmm. and like what it would be. And, he, and Zack Snyder just takes these two, smashes them together. And it's not like, I'm just going to take both of them and smash them together. I'm just going to pick and choose the parts that I like visually Ugh. or the parts that I think are interesting and right. smash them together, even if they don't make any effing sense yeah for example let's talk for a second about uh i think the kill count that batman does in that movie like he's straight <laughs> up body bags lots of dudes i said i sat there with a clicker and i and i just stopped at 12 i was like okay like batman just killed more people in an hour and a half of this movie than he's done in his in the, in the 70 years he's been a comic book character like you know what's bad when you're putting up robocop numbers you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's really what you know it's bad, right? You're like, holy crap, man, Batman is a murderer. I mean, he's just murdering left and right. But it's funny that you so you bring up that point, right? Because it, it, it this is the part of the reason why I brought up like the, the toxic fandom thing. So right. obviously, anyone listening to this by now knows that we're both real big nerds. I'm a big nerd. What? I know, yeah. right? <laughs> New Does my dad know? <laughs> And so the funny part is, is that I am a part of a lot of like, you know, groups online, Facebook groups, things like that, the Reddits. And it's funny because you and I agree completely. Like that scene is, I would, I would argue is one of the worst Batman scenes you can have because it goes counter to Batman. He's killing people left and right. Mm -hmm. Right. You go online and you will see people that are like, that scene is amazing. They finally showed Batman the way he truly fights. You know, they compare it to like the video games where it's like Arkham, Arkham Asylum, like all, all those, like, again, I'm probably getting the names wrong, but like those video games that have come out by this uh, programming, I think the, the developers Rocksteady, yes. they point to that game and they go, that's the way he fights. That video game got it right. And Zack Snyder's movie got it right. And it's like, in parts, yes, his badass, yes, but he's killing people like it's hard to root for a guy who's just murdering people when you have like the, the whole preface the, the whole point of his character is he doesn't want to kill people because his mom and dad got murdered yeah yeah well even like and it's interesting getting to that effect like he's sitting there he's got guns on his car um you know, he straight up just like 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 murders dudes, brands them. Actually, the branding thing, I was like, okay, that's. I guess, I guess, I'll 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 I'll, I'll, I'll swallow my criticism on that. Uh, right. But even uh, even Frank Miller, like, yeah, he shot one guy. As far as we know, it's the only guy he's ever killed. Uh, hell, he didn't even kill Joker in the in the graphic novel, from what I remember. He like he he tried, but then he couldn't, and that was like the whole. Right, and for some real heinous shit too. He let him slide after doing some real heinous shit, right? Because I think yeah. if I, if my memory is correct, and the alcohol might be messing me up, like he, I think he rapes like Commissioner Gordon's daughter, who's like bad, oh, no. or, or bad girl or some shit in it, right? No, that and, was and, killing joke. That was a killing, oh, so joke. killing Yeah, but I mean they're yeah. both a combination, right? It's a slay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like in that book he lets him slide. Yeah. And this shit, he's just killing goons left and right, like nothing. He's yeah. dispensing them with no thought. And you're just like, wow, what, what are we watching? Yeah. Zack Snyder's Batman. 
Yeah, and it's kind of funny. Just on a sidebar, have you ever heard of the uh, the the Fifty Shades of Grey test? Mm-mm. Okay, I have not, sir. So you take, and I think this kind of applies when you see Batman murder this many people. It's if you see a guy who's super rich be into something, and you take away their riches, is it still cool or is it creepy? For example. <laughs> If a guy from Fifty Shades of Grey is super into S and M, and he's not, and he's living in a you know a, a nice uh, apartment on the top floor on Park Avenue South, that's one thing. But if he's living in a trailer park, he's a serial killer. Absolutely. So, but now, same thing with Batman. It's like, yeah, he's he's super rich, and he runs around the car, and he's got a costume on, and um, you know, he has the greatest of technology. He's a superhero. Um, yeah, but if he does that in Wichita. Uh, he's, he's just a murderer <laughs> yeah Zack Snyder uh, I'm not quite sure passes the Fifty Shades of Grey test on his Batman uh, <laughs> yeah, and I mean I think also you know there's a, there's, a, there's a funny thing about so like you brought up the branding part of it mm-hmm. right and so the branding part of it is such a flimsy part in the movie right because it's kind of the way he gets Superman to go over to Gotham and then that's the reason that he's like, oh man, Batman's terrible. I gotta, I gotta rectify this shit because he's branding people. And you know, this these criminals that are getting branded, they're getting killed in prison, right? It's such a flimsy plot like line to get him to go over there, right? And then on top of that, you add in the Lex Luthor plot line of him pitting oh. them against each other. So like the whole the whole thing is built on like a house of cards. And right. it's so flimsy that while you're watching, it, and the reason I'm saying this is because I watched two nights ago in preparation for this. And I'm watching this shit, and I was like, so you're telling me that if Batman just didn't brand people, this would never have happened? Actually, (laughs) can I take that a step further? Can I ask you? uh, What the hell did Lex Luthor want? Right. Like I I watched it. I couldn't tell. And it's kind of funny, because you go back to the Christopher Reeve Superman, it was like, it was very simple. Uh, Lex Luthor wants to make a whole lot of money by sinking California, and he bought up a bunch of property in the Nevada borderline. The uh, the 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 guy who's on Zillow all the time in my head completely gets it. <laughs> yeah, man, like it's so weird, right? Like you're right. It's a simple story arc, right? Greed, and that's it, right? But yeah. everything in Zack Snyder's movies, or at least these the, the Justice League, the DC movies, let's call them the DC movies. They're so convoluted. And so when it comes to story, when you're there at the, at the writing room and you're working with your writers, you don't think those writers at some point were like, okay, guys, I think we've jumped the fucking shark. Like Fonzie comes out of the closet, you know, in the shorts, in the surfboard. And he's like, all right, guys, exactly. I think you went a little too far, right? And then the other part is like, if you want to think about, like, if you want to even go further, like if there weren't any warning signs, right? You've written the script, You've gotten to the part where you're shooting. You get to the casting. Jesse Eisenberg comes on, who I I like. I like a lot. I like him. Oh, lot I love Jesse movies. Eisenberg. I love I love Jesse Eisenberg. He's amazing. Right. So. And so then you 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 look at that that him in that movie, and you just go, God, this is the best he can do with this material, because mm-hmm. the, he's probably looking at this material and thinking, What's my motivation? Why is it so convoluted? Why is it so complicated? Okay, I guess I'll be wacky, super zany guy. And it just doesn't work at all. And that's when you lose your audience, right? And you only yep. watch because of because you our nerd hearts are so big. <laughs> you know, we want to we believe care that so it'll, much. Right. You want to believe that no, no, this is gonna be good. I I swear that it's going somewhere. And then you're like two hours and two and a half hours in, and you realize you're like, nope. This is this is a shit show. And yeah, that's, it's, it's yeah, it's a Phantom Menace paradox. Um, 
That is a great comparison. <laughs> and now here's here's where I feel like okay, so we talk about uh, Lex Luthor, talk about flimsy plot lines and motivations. Um, I'm pretty sure uh, you know Superman's entire goal in that movie was to uh, sulk uh, and feel <laughs> sad that like people had bad things to say him on the internet. Surprise. Um, but here's my ultimate problem with his entire take on Superman. Now, don't get me wrong. I think uh, to do Superman correct as a character, especially in a live action movie, is an incredibly hard task to do because you're talking about somebody who is functionally immortal. Um, you know, there isn't a weapon on planet Earth that can touch him. So therefore, you've got to hit him in the heart and in such a way that all of his powers are rendered useless. <laughs> To a certain degree, it's both a writer's like dream and nightmare because they're like, "Wow, wow! If I pull this off, this will this will make me." In the back of the head, they're going, "Uh, yeah, we got to get there first, buddy. Uh, how, how how do you stop that guy?" Either way, my biggest problem with his take on Superman is this. Uh, if anybody hasn't been following the plot of either of these movies, uh, one, uh, you know, Man of Steel, um, Superman arrives to Earth. He discovers that he has powers beyond, you know, mortal men. Uh, soon uh, discovers that uh, these group of space uh, criminals from his old planet uh, want the codex that his dad sent him there with. The scientist on the alien planet straight up knew he was Chris Columbusing uh, Earth. <laughs> uh, and sent along with him motivation for other people who he just had sent away because they were criminals to chase him. Okay. So, you know, Metropolis gets wrecked. I assume uh, hundreds of people, uh, thousands easily are injured. In fact, I believe the film caught a lot of flack for its depiction of mass um, destruction of property at that level. Yeah. Uh, But then you go over to Batman versus Superman, um, which ends, if anyone is you know, still has not seen this movie, at which point you probably tuned out of this podcast, so it's fine. Um, ends with the creation of a doomsday character using that very same technology that, surprise, surprise, also slaughters most of downtown Metropolis, real estate-wise. And I, again, I'm assuming hundreds, if not thousands, injured. So my question after watching these both of these movies comes down to this basic premise that I can't get away from, which is Zack Snyder's Superman in no way, shape, or form is beneficial to life on planet Earth. <laughs> right, right, exactly. That's, that's literally, he, he, the character that is a Christ-like figure mm-hmm. is detrimental to, like, it's, it's the, in the complete polar opposite, right? And again, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe it's in his mind, he thinks it's clever, he thinks it's ironic, you know, who knows, right? We'll never know unless you interview him and stuff. But it's true, right? Everything starts as he's the catalyst for all the bad shit, mm-hmm. right? And... At, at any point, he has the power to turn it around. Well, because he doesn't. He could. He does. He could. He could turn he it around. Does. Like a lot. Because remember, like, like if you look at the movies, right? He he continues to be like, I'm gonna go after Batman. I don't know if I want to do this. Like he's like sulking like a teenager, and it's just like, dude. And then obviously, when you get to Justice League, at least the the, the not his official cut, he kind of comes around and then is dorky and stuff like that. But it's just like. It's just the weirdest story arc. It's just terrible in, in every way. And especially because of what you're pointing out, right? He yep. is the, the, the catalyst for all the bad shit that happens to Earth. And yet we're supposed to root for him because, you know, he's Superman. Yay, stick around. 
It's like a ho- it's like a house guest who talks about how much he loves everybody, but just has like ragers every single night that ends up with like somebody puking in the parking lot. It's like, dude, just go, get out of here, please. <laughs> you know the thing I, when I when I and again like, I, I don't I don't want to bad mouth. I mean, it almost sounds like maybe we're bad mouth exactly. And again, we're you only know? talking about story decisions that he's made. This is not about him personally. This is not. We're just we're taking a look at some of his stories and and we got opinions. That's it. Yeah, and so when I when I look at like again, not just the, the Justice League movies because that's you know the DC movies. It's not just his old body of work. Obviously, he has a whole bunch of other movies. It calls into question like, and again, he'll he's the only one that will know. But when I think about Zack Snyder and all his movie decisions, I always wonder: is it style over substance? It always feels that style hmm. always win out wins out in every single one of his movies when it comes to making some really good decisions about elevating the material right so again if you go back to dawn of the dead there's that really wonderful moment about dad that's probably like the, st- the most stellar a stellar example of him actually working with the movie massaging it and creating something that's action-filled but has some heart and actually humanizes it and talks about human nature but then you go to 300 and 300 is again very style over substance because there's a lot of stuff in it that you're like and again if you've gone back and seen it it hasn't aged well when you look at it from like a political point of view, when you look at it from a, you know, a misogyny point of view, when you look at it from a, an ableism point of view, there's just a lot of stuff that's wrong with it. Even like the alt-right kind of messages that are in it are, are there. And so you're like, shit, a couple pivots and you could have made a little bit better, but you didn't because sure. you went all style, all in, I'm going to go Frank Miller. Yeah. And that's a, that's a whole different episode where you can fucking deconstruct that whole movie. Is it a fun movie to watch? Absolutely. But after yeah. watching it a couple of years later, you know, now when they released the, like the, the DVD, 4K, whatever, I was like, fuck, I love this movie because it's visually beautiful. But damn it, there's some decisions that are questionable. And then you get to obviously Sucker Punch. Oh. Ooh. oh. Right, exactly. And so then you think, yeah, it's visually beautiful. Like it's a fucking gorgeous. Like a, what, an gorgeous. hour, hour and what, 20 minute if that, I'm probably giving it a couple more minutes than it really is. Um, music video. Yeah. But then you're like, if you really, if you're paying attention, you're like, God damn it. They're all like scantily clad. It's all power fantasies. It almost, if you were to just, it almost feels like an anime. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but it almost feels just like very young boy power fantasy, young boy, what I like, you know, I like scantily clad women. And so then you're just like, you, you have to wonder, you're making things that are beautiful. It's not, you don't have skill. He has a lot of skill. He's, he's a mm-hmm. filmmaker. He's yep. made a lot of money. But damn, it's always style over substance, man. Now, here's the thing about Sucker Punch. And this this, this was um, the movie that he made that actually really upset me. Um, like I saw Watchmen and I was like, okay. Uh, you know, uh, I liked it better when Alan Moore did it. Um <laughs> You know, and he does, and and again, I don't say that necessarily like detrimentally. He's very reverent to the source material, and that I say that to his credit. Sometimes it bites him and bites him in the ass. But mm-hmm. Sucker Punch um, was a film where, at the end, I was kind of just like waiting to see to, to see if there was like a, a a turn in it or like a hook that was going to come back around. But instead, it just played out um, in a matter that that was. Uh, almost depressingly just obvious like when when john ham comes in and gives her a lobotomy i forget the exact line he said but he's like she had this look in her eye like she wanted it i was like whoa he's like screech the brakes whoa what 
Could you imagine Why? watching that movie on a date or watching that movie with your wife or your, your you know, your, your spouse? I mean, like, maybe even not your wife. I mean, like, just watching that movie with any female is just, it's fucking hard. Yeah, I, I actually, I don't think, I think I did see it with my wife, honestly. And uh, she, um, she kind of wanted to know Zach's address, which I found weird. <laughs> Could you imagine? I, you, I mean, obviously you had to drive home or like we live in, oh, well, you live in New York, no? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, so could you imagine that subway ride? That subway ride must have been like, oh, baby, um, God, can you believe it, man? Like, God, the the, the prices on this metro car are terrible. Uh. You're just trying to come up with any excuse not to talk about that movie, right? Because again, it's a, it brings up so many horrible things. It's, and again, those discussions, and obviously Zack Snyder's not that was not his intention, but huh. you're literally. You have to look someone in the face, look them in the eyes, your your, your spouse, your wife, your, your daughter, your sister, yeah. and just be like with a straight face, be like, ah, oh, yeah, Zack Snyder is a great director. And thanks for coming with me. You have to have these conversations about like, yeah, this is toxic and this is terrible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's awful. I really like this director. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a hard conversation to have. That's a terrible, yeah, no. And here's... The thing that that killed me about it, and I actually wanted like this is a great moment to kind of like uh, a pivot a little bit to uh, some another aspect that I've I've not enjoyed from both him and his producing partner, which is his wife, mm. uh, Deborah Snyder, um, mm-hmm. which is their well, actually one last thing about Sucker Punch because obviously he caught a lot of flack for that movie, and he kept calling it satire. In fact, I've actually got it written down here. Um, uh, he said it was a satire or a commentary on sex. I'll read you the actual quote. There Please do. I'd love yeah, it says, to hear it. I'm always shocked that Sucker Punch was so badly misunderstood, revealed Snyder. I always said that it was a commentary on sexism and geek culture. Someone would ask me, why did you film the girls this way? And I'd say, well, you did. And another comment that I didn't ha- uh, have here, he called it satire. For which I decided to pull up the definition of the word satire, the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices, particularly in the context of contemporary politics and other topical issues. Now, I feel like people like to throw around the word satire a whole lot, but I'm just wondering how is it that you make something that commits all of the same crimes that you're trying to be trying to comment on with no resolution to the other side at the end for example uh you know you're, you're hitting you're hitting on it you're literally nailing this shit yeah it's well we say we'll, we'll see how many more pauses i have uh while well, i might try to get my brain to kick in past the second fear um what, what, what i love is that we're having this conversation during women's history month you know what i mean like because again like that whole movie is just like fuck if there was a movie that literally illustrates all the things that are bad yeah it's that one and, and his his hiding behind satire is just so fucking flimsy and again like i'm not talking about him as an artist now this is just purely opinion right it just seems so cowardly and it just seems so like look you made a bad movie just own that you made a bad movie it's cool don't fucking try to hide behind yeah. that bullshit argument because it's not that's a, that's what it is you know, no. and, and look, I, I, I'm not the, you know, the biggest fucking, you know, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is I see through it and I'm your fan. 
Yeah. Like, imagine if there are people that aren't your fans that don't know anything about your filmmaking. They're just going to laugh it up. You know, they're like, they're just going to be like, it's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you, you have a bit of a responsibility there. I feel like, like if you're that much in the public eye and you're actually putting the stuff out there that be, are being seen by people that much, and you do want to have a positive impact, which I, I really do think he does want to do. Yeah. then you have to accept your failures and, and, and sucker punch was absolutely a failure. And instead of like accepting responsibility that you were putting women into a derogatory light, which ended with all of their efforts being nil in the face of a predominantly masculine force, like, man, this isn't satire. Like it, what happened was you took like the worst parts of geek culture and then you Quentin Tarantino did it. You're like, yeah, I want to make one of those. You know, like instead of like seventies black exploitation cinema, you made the worst geek culture movie of all time. Which is funny because, like, and again, I'm we're speaking in really broad terms here. So, like, I just I want to get like a wide berth on this one. Whoever oh. is listening understands what I'm trying to say. And not all geek culture is toxic, it's but it's not. funny. It is the, the the I wouldn't say the same, but the the fandom that he has that was like gave him the the. The kind of the pass on this one is also the same part of it, not entirely, but part of the same fandom that got us to the reason that we're having this podcast, right? Which is the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League, right? Yes. They petitioned for years to yes. see his cut, right? Mm -hmm. Because of, and again, those at home listening that don't have any context, because I had to explain this to my girlfriend yesterday, and she was like, why are you watching this again? Like, well, why yeah. would you do this to yourself? And it was like, look, sweetie, I love you. But trust me, for, for nerds, this is a big moment, right? <laughs> the fact that he made this movie, his, sadly, his child died. So he had Horrible. to kind yeah. of oh. peel back from the movie. While he was even making the movie, the mm -hmm. studio didn't feel confident in his ability to craft a movie that would be a success for them because right. the movie previous, which we just bashed earlier, which was Batman versus Superman, did not perform well. So they obviously had people there that were going to make sure that it was going to achieve what they needed to financially. Right. So he peels back as his daughter dies. And then another director, Joss Whedon steps in and mm -hmm. has to cut it down for time, changes the main story arc. And mm -hmm. when it dropped, it didn't do well financially, but that fandom that follows Zack Snyder throughout mm -hmm. Man of Steel, through Batman versus Superman, really wanted to see that cut, his cut. And so I think it's funny that the same fandom, not entirely, but a, a good part of it, that loved Sucker Punch, that loved 300, that loved all those movies, mm -hmm. kind of rallied and somehow convinced the studio to give him millions of dollars to finish his cut. And I think that's what's crazy because it's like, there is a huge contingent of toxic fandom. And now in this world of social media, of, of you know cancel culture, that people can not only cancel you, but they can bring you back. Mm. And that's a bit of a watershed moment. Like the history of filmmakers and studios getting into arguments over uh, creative and then ruining, or in a few cases, making the picture better. Uh, I'll go back four years. The Terry Gilliam Brazil oh, uh, war is, yes. is is well known. The uh, love always wins cut. I watched it. Save yourselves the time. Just don't. It's it's, it's the studio <laughs> cut was just goddamn awful. But this will be the first time that one of these conflicts has happened 
where not where the filmmaker didn't win like there's there's no way on because of course the 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 horrible tragedy that befell his uh daughter committing suicide like that's him him bowing out is is when i said god he's 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 human um mm-hmm. you feel you know, bad for him you feel so oh, terrible I feel horrible for him. i i read about it and, I, and like you know i have these opinions about him but then i'm going oh god that poor human being jesus um and apparently like him and his wife oh we'll we'll, we'll get we'll get into the good parts about Zack Snyder very soon i promise i promise this is this is going to be a criticism sandwich you you've done agency working you know with that stuff <laughs> I swear. The, the, the good, bad, good, right? Good, bad, good. I swear. It just says, we just want to get to the giant beef patty of bad right now. And then, then it'll be the sesame bun of goodness, I promise. Um, I'm actually really hungry now. Once you, once you said beef patty, I was like, mm, delicious. I'm a pescatarian. I could crush a, uh, a smash burger right now. Oh, man. Sierra Nevada, you do it to me every time. Um, but, you know, this is the first time, and, and this will go down in the books, that... Uh, a studio won in one of those conflicts and then the filmmaker got brought back like say like and it's one of those things about Zack Snyder that you almost have to acknowledge like like no matter what your personal feelings might be you had to look at them like wow that's 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 rock and roll uh it might not be the song I like but this is some re- re- reanimator shit right here. They they oh. literally pulled out the, the the syringe with the green the green stuff and they brought them back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like holy shit! I thought you were dead. No, nope. I know. Guess again. <laughs> and just like that, it's it's doubly as horrible because now it's four hours long and there'll be a black and white cut. God help us. Uh, well, see, that's the thing about it, right? So, like again, we don't know because we haven't seen it yet. And but there's there's so much. My nerd again. I feel like this is a fucking a horrible relationship a relationship where it's like a battered a battered spouse you know what i mean where it's Mm -hmm. like you've treated me poorly but i love you kinda i have i hope that you're going to treat me right this time around and i'm curious but i know i probably shouldn't go back and and the reason i say that is because there's so many things about it that it feels like such a contingent uh you know like we're gonna we're gonna give you what you guys wanted but it's gonna be four by three uh, it's going to be black oh. and white because, oh. you know, and let's be honest, you're doing this because you still want us to go give you the IMAX money. And this is the part where it's not even Zach. I, I, and again, we don't know. So we don't know what the politics are with the studio. We don't know if it's really, you know, complete our tourship from Zach. But there is a part of me that does feel a little bit cynical about some of those choices. Because, yes. again, they're double dipping. The studio caving Obviously, they open up their, their purse strings, you know, they open up their wallet and they give some more money to make a cut. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like the movie, I think, made like 600 million and they fell far below what they really wanted to make. And so one could argue, again, that this is them double dipping because it's like, OK, cool, we're going to get a whole bunch of HBO Max subscribers. And let's be honest, in this world of this new ecosystem that we live in mm-hmm. of, you know, subscription models like Netflix and Hulu and HBO Max and Disney Plus and et cetera, et cetera that's what matters subs and so this is going to drive subs but then on top of that you want to triple dip by going well you know what there's going to be an imax version that won't be four by three and it's not going to be black and white and you're like get the fuck out of here (laughs) you you know you know who you're targeting man you know i feel like i'm doing like the three card monty i'm dealing with a three card monty guy where he's like no 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 no, dude if you find the peanut you got this I, I can't believe I've had this many episodes and no one's brought up three card Monty. That's, that's a first. That's amazing. <laughs> it's wonderful. 
Um, the other thing I wanted to cover in this, uh, and again, it's 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 a response to the response to criticism, uh, and this I think also plays into uh, the approach to content that Snyder has taken uh, in a negative way. I just want to read you uh, a comment that came from, funny enough, Deborah Snyder, his his producing partner and wife, um, where in response to people's opinions about Batman versus Superman. Her response was, is that the movie's fault or is that your fault for having a preconceived notion of what it should be? Now, my question is this. Were they or were they not making a movie based upon two comic books stretching back over a half century of authorship? (laughs) And where else, wherever did the fans of that get a preconceived notion? Man, it's just a weird. It's such. It's it's like such spin in in like a world of like that's that's the real like it. Oh man, it's so hard to articulate the frustration with that comment because mm. you're right. You're 100 right. Like you're not making this movie in a vacuum, right? Mm. You're not using original characters that we've never seen before. You're right. using you know IP as much as I know people hate using that that term. Huh. You're using IP that people have grown up with. People have built relationships. There are people walking around right now with Superman and Batman tattoos on their back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that shit didn't happen like random. There are yeah. people that feel so, so in touch with that, that, that character. They have so much invested. They've, they've built their personas. And I, and I mean, and I mean that by persona, I mean like it touches them, right? It's kind of like, yeah. I, I'm a huge like Spider-Man fan. Right? I love Spider-Man, right? There you go. I love the whole like great power, great responsibility, right? Yeah. I'm a huge fan. I have some toys in my house that literally have Spider-Man. I watch movies. I love it, right? There are people that literally watch Batman cartoons that are like 40 years old still because they've grown up with it. They love it. And so to say something like that is almost ridiculous to me because it's like, you're not, this isn't original. Like there are yeah. people that have preconceived notions because you're dealing with stuff that has history that's tangible that means something to people exactly and again to a certain degree that's also why you've been as successful as you've been like if you're coming out with a batman movie i'm probably gonna watch it you know like what you're gonna come out with a superman movie i'm not gonna check it out no of course i'm gonna check it out hell you know my preconceived notions is the cash in your wallet bro yeah like I, I, it, it drives me a, that drives me a little bit crazy because don't get me wrong, I don't think that any of these things should be fan service. I think there should be experimentation. I think we should play with the form and play with the notion. But when you break the rules like you do, having Batman just murder fools, Superman being the cause for most of the angst happening extraterrestrially speaking on planet Earth, like you broke the rules. Understand that, accept it, and adjust accordingly. And if you don't, then you're just going to create the same mistakes over again, and we're going to have this entire conversation again. The results with two guys drinking on a podcast. It's going to be great. <laughs> well, I mean, I think also the thing that's funny is that the fact that we're having a podcast talking about something clearly proves that our fervor, our love of these characters, right? And again, mm-hmm. it's like that's that, that, that kind of statement from her. And again, I don't know the lady. I'm sure she's a really wonderful lady. You know, again, Hollywood, it's politicized. It's, it's, it's a huge industry. You're going to say what you need to say. Maybe things are taken out of context. Who freaking knows? We're going to give her the benefit of the doubt, or at least right. I am. But still, there is a certain bit of like, mm, you know, you are playing on the fact that we love these characters and we're going to go see them. And it's not like, this isn't like some kind of question where you're like, oh, do we put them in a black suit or do I keep the original OG suit, right? This is something way different. 
You're basically yes. changing the character on a level that literally alters him completely. He kills people. Batman kills people. And it's like, that's dark and gritty. And it's like, hmm. no, you're really changing this character um, to, the, to the point where it's like, if you're going to change that character and you're going to take those liberties, then there's got to be a real payoff for it. And that's where hmm. I think the movies for me fail because there's no payoff other than wow factor. Like yes. there's no like, there's no real like shit. Batman was pushed to the edge or Superman was pushed to the edge. And I really felt it. I didn't feel it. I was just like, oh, that's weird. He's on his oh. knees. He's, oh. he's, he's like not begging for mercy, but he's in a, he's obviously in a power role in, in, in the Man of Steel, right? Or what is it, the, the Superman one? And he just kills him right there. And you're just like, well, where, where the fuck does that leave me, man? You cut yeah. the credits? Well, the crazy thing was the, the entire emotional crux of uh, Batman versus Superman. And I, I know this is mocked wildly and I hate to harp on other people's jokes, but hey, you know what? It's, it's, it's worthy of at least a little bit of a, of a jab in the ribs. Uh, when um, oh, I heard save Martha, I'm oh, like, who, fuck. who the hell is Martha? I'm thinking to myself. <laughs> and he's like, oh, it's, it's Clark Kent's mom. Okay. It's also Bruce Wayne's mom. Oh, but this goes this goes back to the flimsy shit, right? The bad writing. Yeah, like wait, wait, oh, like I like I literally like sit there. It's like okay, no point in like. And again, I've been reading these comic books for decades now. I've never put like it's not even like two and two together. There's no two and two there. It's two women sharing a name. I'm sorry, is Batman the only guy named Bruce in the entire DC universe? <laughs> Good God! Well, could you imagine that writing room where they were like, "Oh my God, it's fucking Martha." That's the it's key. Just Martha. That's Why? it. And I'm sure there was like, I'm sure there was one writer who was just sitting there going, okay, so you guys know that we need to go back to every scene before this and make Batman's mom more prominent because unless you're paying real big attention during the one, not scene, but shot that showed the name of Martha Wayne, it's one shot. In the hour and a half leading up to that fight, there's one shot in a dream sequence where it's like Martha Wayne. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> Glad I paid a lot of attention to that static, boring shot. Well, it's funny, right? Because like, if you again, for those listening at home that haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert: the movie <laughs> starts with uh, the whole Bruce Wayne, like obviously his parents being murdered, right? And so you start to think, is that the way the movie originally started? Like when the writers were writing it, do you think that's how it really started, and this was the grand plan? Who knows? Mm -hmm. Maybe they're awesome and they're smart. I tend to think that no way. There's no way that you thought Martha's the key, and that that moment. It's all predicated on that Martha moment, that, that name drop, right? I doubt it. I, I argue, and maybe I'm wrong, who knows? We'll never know, but mm -hmm. they were writing and they were like, well, why, does, why doesn't Batman kill him? Why doesn't he just kill him? And he goes, Martha. And then they go, oh shit, we need to see him at the beginning where we have to obviously reintroduce Batman once again for the hundredth time because we haven't seen it in every single goddamn Batman movie, right? <laughs> That's what I actually love about the Marvel universe. Like when it comes going goes back to like Spider-Man, I'll give you the example. Yeah. They know you know these characters. They, we don't have to give you that backstory. Maybe we'll give you the backstory in movie three or maybe movie two, but we know we don't have to do it in one because you know you've grown up with it. And I almost feel like that is almost like a respect for the audience in the Marvel universe. And again, I'm not gonna say that Marvel is perfect. I love those movies, but they're not perfect. But when you look at these movies by Zach, there almost seems to be almost a complete lack of respect for like, yes, there's a history. Yes, there's an audience that understands this. You don't have to retell these stories just so that Martha yeah. in the middle of your movie makes sense. 
because that's what it feels like to me. There you go. Yeah, yeah. It feels like Zack Snyder saying, okay, this is my, to- my toy. I'm playing with it now and you all can watch me. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say about the Marvel Universe, um, like them or hate them, uh, they, they, on- they honestly, they, they did shape the form. Again, Iron Man came out in 2008 and uh, not every movie in there was a stellar winner, let's be honest. <laughs> um, but they did uh, influence the form and they did put, I think, like a lot of work. Honestly, I saw I, I, when they, when I saw the trailer for uh, Infinity War, I was like, no way that works. And I saw it and I was like, oh my God, it worked. Uh. <laughs> right. I mean, I was, I was, as, as the nerd that I am, I mean, like, I think, was it, was that one? That was the last one, right? Infinity War? No, Endgame was the uh, last one. Oh, so I remember Endgame. I, I, I think I was in tears at the end of that when oh, they yeah. all come out the portals. I'm like yeah. in tears. And that, that, that says something about like just, how much investment audience members have. Because I know I wasn't the only one. I looked over, I looked over to the side, looked to the right, I looked to the left, and I saw some watery eyes. You know? Oh, dude, there's a Hell's Angel guy in the audience with us. And I looked over and he just had tears running down his like tattooed cheek and beard. It was incredible. Right. And it, that speaks to the responsibility a director, a writer, and even an mm-hmm. editor, and, and, and what could even argue a DP, anyone that's working on a film mm-hmm. has to source material that, that happens. Like, I, this is going to sound really weird. And I, this is a jump. So maybe Go this is it. the alcohol talking, but here goes. Absolutely. So I think of Kenneth Branagh, right? Yes. And how emotional he gets when he's doing films like you know, Hamlet, or yes. when he and he starts talking about Shakespeare, like, because he's a huge Shakespearean actor, he loves the source material, you know, he's directed a few movies about it. He is so, like, he wants to take it to that level of, like, I want to land what the, the bard himself intended. Right. And in a weird way, when you look at these movies, it's, it's a very different way of looking at it. And again, I'm not comparing Shakespeare to DC. They're nope. very different. No one is yep. saying that. But at the same token, in the same token, I'm saying that they are storylines that have aged over years, mm-hmm. and that there is an audience that loves them. So they should be paid the same respect that that the, that the bard himself gets, right? Yeah. Like anything, like any source of story. Like if you think of like Kurt Vonnegut, right? Or you think uh, about like you know, right? Exactly. When you think of Apocalypse Now, oh, right? Do you think it. Coppola was like, you know what? I'm just going to change the whole shit. Yes, he <laughs> did change it. Yes, he did make some changes to make it work in film. Yeah. But he was still fucking respectful, man. Absolutely. And that's the difference with Zack Snyder. Again, it goes back, in my, in my mind, it goes back to style over substance and almost a lack of appreciation or care for the audience. And like you said, these are my toys. I'm going to play with them the way I want to play with them. There we go. But you know what? Let's jump to how Zack Snyder is awesome. Let's 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 let let's let's jump into just like a couple of things that I, I feel is is worthy of recognition, which happens to happen outside of his story creation abilities. Because um, as we were talking about before, he left Justice League because of the unimaginable loss uh, to one of his daughters. I don't know if you know this, but apparently, him and his wife have adopted like a, like a whole bunch of kids. Good for him, man. Good for him. Those, those children are probably so happy. Also, from what I understand, the guy is just great to work with. Especially when we can see that in light of who took over Justice League, Ooh. being Joss Whedon, who used to be every nerd's hero <laughs> until some stuff came out. Uh, apparently, oh, uh, 
I, I, uh, th- that release from Michelle, tra- like, I, like a whole bunch of people were saying things. I was like, Oh God, I wonder what really happened. Oh God, I wonder what really happened. But then I heard the Michelle Trachtenberg thing. Did you hear that? Yeah. That she had like in her contract that she couldn't be in the same room or something without yeah, someone there. That's, that's the cutoff line. Like if anybody can't be, if, if there's an adult that can't be alone in a room with a child, like for like by anyone's concern, much less a legal contract, you're dead to me, pal. Like I, I can't, I can't do it. But Zack Snyder doesn't have that. Zack Snyder has actors that support him. He does cast like incredible people. Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, I think, was an inspired choice. Absolutely. As was Jason Momoa as Aquaman. I think it was all, like, all, you know, he does great casting. He works with great people. Uh, people like strive to work around him. He, I like. While I have comments about his storytelling, I cannot call him a bad director. Yeah, see, it's, it's funny that you say that. So, like, I agree with you, right? So, I can't call him a bad director. I would say he's had a couple bad movies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and they're big, they're big bad movies. Um, but again, like, as a director, yes. Like I said, I'm not a director. I couldn't do the shit that he does. Um, and he's got a lot of talent. He has a couple you, massive hits. And he didn't get there by accident. Um, and when you think about, like, you, as, as you alluded, right, to the fact that there was a director that was put into place to do the recut, to shorten it, to make it better, to make it play, to make the money. He's a, look, he's been accused. Nothing has been like charged against him yet. But I think it's pretty clear that multiple people have come, you know, have basically said, yes, he has made some advances. They were inappropriate. So I think in, at least in the public's opinion, a pretty fucking terrible human being right and mm-hmm. in that regard yes he's not that guy so as far as like public opinions are sure yeah zach snyder's a great fucking dude mm-hmm. one as a director yeah he's a i would argue he's a very competent very good director he's given us some like good movies in there um but yeah like that fucking joss whedon is just oh man that's just a can of worms that i'm almost like nervous to touch because of how horrible the shit that's coming out. And the thing is, it's coming out all the time now, right? It's coming out more and more. Right? It started on Justice League, right? With uh, the guy who played Cyborg saying that, yeah, it wasn't a very good work environment. And then- you I think he even the- called it toxic. He called it toxic, didn't he? Yeah, right. And again, like you, you think about that and you're like, man, this, that's not a good situation to be in. And then obviously the way he treats his actors, right? Everyone has always said that Zack Snyder is a very collaborative. He's a really great actor. The fact that the whole cast of Justice League was on board to reshoot do whatever mm-hmm. they needed to do for his cut says yep. a lot about the guy, you know, right? Yep. Like that's an incredible, incredible yep. thing. So again, I might not enjoy a lot of the guy's movies, but God, I hope he keeps making them. He's getting a lot of jobs to a lot of people. And apparently he fosters a positive work environment. And shouldn't we all aspire to that? Yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward to that Netflix movie that he's has coming out right now, which is, again, he's going back to, you know, something that he's done really well, which is a zombie mm-hmm. movie. And he's doing it. I think it's like a zombie heist movie in Vegas. That's what I've heard. Not that I know anything, but it <laughs> sounded interesting. And I was like, you know what? I want to give it a shot. I think it'll yeah. be fun. And I almost feel like maybe, maybe the, maybe having the DC stuff on him, having all that weight of like preconceived notions of having history, of having all those story arcs might've been just too much for any director. Cause let's be honest, you know, even, even, um, oh God, I'm trying to remember the name of uh, the director who did Superman. And I can't believe that I'm, I'm even- Richard forgetting. Donner? Yes. So even Richard Donner would talk about how heavy it was to make Superman, right? Mm. Every director that touches this IP will argue like, 
you look at Tim Burton. Tim Burton talked mm. about how it was hard to work within the studio, hard to get across his vision. It's hard. So like in no way, I hope that anyone that listens doesn't think at least that you and I are assholes and just bagging on this guy because it's hard work. It's really difficult yeah. to make a film, just, just flat out, just make a film. Exactly. But then to throw in all that IP stuff. And so the fact that he's been able to make hits says that he's a skillful man and he's actually doing it the right way because we've all heard those horror stories about directors, right? We've all yeah. heard the, and as much as I love Stanley Kubrick, we've all heard the state of the, the, the Shelley Duvall, Shirley Duvall oh, stories of, of like, you know, being just fucking treated terrible. And I love Kubrick. I love his movies, no. but that shit is, that shit wouldn't fly now, man. Are you oh, kidding no. me? No, 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 no. I love that I was able to bring fucking <laughs> Stanley Kubrick, Zack Snyder, and fucking uh, um, uh, Kenneth Branagh together <laughs> over a Zack Snyder shit. Like, that's the stuff that in my mind, like, literally, I couldn't even verbalize it because my head was like, what did you just say? <laughs> okay, you're asking the living room to get in touch with the dining room and your brain space here, and those parts have never connected before. <laughs> No, I, I, and again, like, uh, I think there, there is going to be a conversation. There's going to be conversation moving forward uh, between, you know, mental health uh, in production, which has been happening for a few years now, as well as just treatment of people on set. And just, you know, like, like to a certain degree, I feel like the age where being an auteur and being a dick or synonymous are kind of over. You don't have to do that. Like, get your vision across, you know, but treat people like people should be treated. They're not props. I love, I love the way that you're, like, kind of, like, circling back to, like, what we do for a living. So, obviously, mm-hmm. you're an editor, an yep. extraordinary editor. Oh, stop it. Uh, and I'm, a, you know, a meager creative director. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, messed up. That's messed up. But go ahead. Go, no, go. no, it's just true. It's true. I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, but I love, I love that, you, you know, the, the one thing we can't speak about is we can't speak to the fact how hard it is to be a director in Hollywood because obviously we've never had that. But we can speak to the fact of working conditions on a set mm-hmm. on, on when it comes to literally cutting together things, story, narrative. We can't speak to those things. And that's the thing that's really funny, to me at least. Mm-hmm. I know that in my experiences, any set, I've worked with female directors, i work with directors of color, crews, talent, and it's always with respect and it's always with like, look, we're all here to create, collectively create something, mm-hmm. make some money, obviously, help a brand sell some product, fizzy water and chips, but always at the end of the day, it needs to be respectful. And I think that's the, one of the things that I think he should be commended upon, right? You're yeah. right. You're 100% right. How hard must it be with all that pressure? Mm-hmm. And we've all kind of kind of had some of that pressure, obviously on a smaller scale. But again, you know, you're working with brands. Brands want what they want. That's and right. you are able to do those things. Right, it's not like some her- uh, Herculean. I'm saying that word wrong, but no, you are. Like, you're, you're saying it right, Herculean. Oh, yeah, right. It's not a Herculean thing to be a human and be compassionate and treat people well. And so the fact that you hear stories about Joss Whedon and the way he treated people, it's mm-hmm. almost like, dude, Zack Snyder is just a human being and he did it right. Yeah. And you just did it 
wrong. And there are other directors that have done it wrong and they get a card, you know, they get a free fucking ride or a card blanc. And it's yep. terrible because we've all been there. You know, you and I have been there. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't. And it's not that it doesn't require some extra effort. It just requires a level of perspective and just being fucking human. That's all it requires. Fantastic. We started <laughs> off. We started off with superhero movies and ended on basic human rights in a working environment. Awesome. <laughs> well, I, I hope that the people listening to this, mm-hmm. you know, at least in my opinion, I hope that the people that listen to this realize that I think the, the reason people get so like invested in all of this is because there's care, right? And it's not just care mm-hmm. in the end product. Right? It's not just mm-hmm. care because I want to see a really great movie, you know, it's because people are invested in, in enjoyment and these films, that's not where they take their families, right? Like, could you mm-hmm. imagine taking your kid to a sucker punch? Oh, would, God. Like, look, I feel like I'm a horrible parent, right? And when you take your kid to a really good movie, and I'm not, I'm not going to, because good is obviously subjective, but those movies, those moments, like, and again, I'm just going to throw out a Spielberg example. You yeah. go see a Spielberg movie. You kind of know you're going to walk away with this good fucking warm feeling, hopefully, yeah. as long as it's not something like super heavy. Um, but you're going to walk away feeling good about it. And so I think mm-hmm. to me, and I'm babbling a little bit, maybe because the alcohol is finally taking effect. But like that's the responsibility of a director or any creator, even if you're fucking making, you know, uh, Instagram posts or YouTube videos. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a responsibility on some level as an tour to create mm-hmm. something that isn't toxic. Uh, I, I just want to put like one last little like nail in the coffin. Just like the word about Zack Snyder is I might not agree with every decision that he's made, uh, but I love the way that he's made them. I love the positive impact that he's made by making them. Uh, and I would love if somebody would just kind of maybe remove him from the writer's room just one day a week, <laughs> just one day a week. Just, just, Hey Zach, you know what? Go get some coffee, buddy. We, 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 we got this. Don't you worry, baby. Hamilton, thank you so much for being on the show today. But yeah, the uh, Justice League, the uh, J- the Snyder Cut drops uh, tomorrow, and um, you know we'll probably uh, right around the time that we have the next big cultural zeitgeist that uh, nerds need to touch back on. We'll have you back, and uh, we'll 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 kick it up. Yeah, can I just say, man, again, thank you for having me on. I I love literally like I know that I was on your your show uh, earlier this uh, year, and it was. Mm-hmm. A- fucking fantastic i had such a good time I had a really good reception i shared it with a lot of friends a lot of coworkers. everyone oh, was like, really happy with it you know and i was so glad that you kind of reached out and asked me to be part of this because obviously i'm a nerd i love talking about it um I, yeah I, I love this man like i love what you're doing i love that fact that oh, there's so much positivity you. in it even in even if it may not sound like it to some people um <laughs> <laughs> we, we gotta because, get dark sometimes we gotta get dark sometimes but we bring it back to the light yeah, totally. And so I would love to be on whenever you want me on, man. I am more than happy to be on just because I love I love the fact that you are engaging in this medium and doing it, like, I think in a really cool and interesting way, a very different oh, way. Thank you. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you know, you're rocking it. I mean, last time I made the joke about Charlie Rose and me and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, no, and I love the fact that at, at the end of this, you said, sign you out. It brought me back to my days when I was at the Boys and Girls Club. I was like, oh, you're going to send me out. Thanks. <laughs> that 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 went deep that was a deep cut right <laughs> thanks hamilton you can of course find hamilton at youtube.com slash create consume repeat for this episode and more please head to drinkingwithcreatives.com 
and please support us there on our Patreon. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your preferred platform. My name is Jeremy Berger. I hope you're well, and we'll see you next time.